Well, good morning. My name is Daniel, and I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Central, and I'm so glad that you are worshiping with us. And I do hope that if you are new, a, a recent guest who's been connecting with us in this odd, strange season of quarantine and streaming online, that you will let us know who you are uh, and how we might better connect with you, get to know you. I, I have been away for a number of weeks now. I took some time to be with my family, uh, took some time to study and pray and get uh, alone and be in solitude with the Lord. And so I, I am coming back feeling refreshed, uh, though this year of 2020 continues to take its toll on all of us. And I am very hopeful about the year ahead as a church. Uh, our staff team has been praying, meeting, and planning for months as we look to the fall, winter, and spring. We do this every year, but this year in particular has been the most difficult to prepare and plan for for obvious reasons. We do not know what the impact of the coronavirus will be. Uh, the future is still unclear. We're not certain uh, what we can or cannot do. When will restrictions lift? When will a vaccine arrive? How comfortable will people be? How safe can we make all of our environments and events? So this coming week, I want you to be on the lookout for our best attempt at providing some of our hopes and plans for the coming year around the virus. And then at the end of August, we're going to be providing you with a booklet for our hopeful vision for this coming year and a video uh, sharing with you our vision. Uh, hope, hopefully you'll get your hand on that booklet and you would watch the video as we share our hopes and our prayers for the year ahead. But 2020 has been a hard year and we are being forced because of quarantine and many other situations to examine not so much all the things that we are doing because much of our doing is prohibited, but more so we're being forced to examine who are we becoming. It is easy to associate activity with spirituality. And we can be tempted, I think, to measure our spirituality by being busybodies and doing things. So the deeper question I think God is asking is who are we becoming? That's why we're in this series, The Fruit of the Spirit. Because there's no doubt in my mind that in this difficult season, God is at work forming and shaping us to look more like Jesus, which is a life marked by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. The fruit of the Spirit seen in Galatians 5, 22 to 23. There have been a number of things I know uh, shared about fruit in this series already, and I'm jumping midway into the series, but I want to share a few quick things that's true about fruit, thus true about a life that's bearing the fruit of the Spirit. The first thing is that fruit grows gradually. You and I cannot manufacture or engineer growth. We cannot expedite Christian growth. It is a process that we are in for the rest of our lives. Secondly, fruit is inevitable. An apple tree will produce apples. If you're a Christian, your life will become more and more like Jesus. Third, fruit is symmetrical. It is the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruits. It's singular, meaning all nine of these are to be growing in your life. You cannot say, I'm joyful but not patient. I'm gentle but unwilling to love. Fourth, fruit is internal. Our hearts and our souls are being transformed. Growth works from the inside to the outside. And most important, fruit is connected to the tree or to the vine. 
And as Christians, we believe what Jesus says in John chapter 15, when Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. So in this series, I'm praying all of us are examining our lives and asking, who are we becoming? Are we growing in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control? This morning, we're going to look at the fruit of goodness. I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. We're going to look at verses 9 through 21. I think it'll be on the screen as well. But I'm going to read God's word to us. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Isaiah tells us that the grass withers and the flowers fade, but God's word, it endures forever. Let's pray together. Lord God, I ask that you would come and speak to us. Holy Spirit, would you illumine our minds? Spirit of Jesus, would you enlarge our hearts to understand your love and grace more so because we've encountered you this morning as you speak to us. I do pray that you would give us not just a deeper understanding of goodness, but a true experience of goodness, of your goodness, so that we might bear the fruit of goodness. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, this past Monday morning, I was preparing to leave for the church office, uh, first time in a number of weeks, and I was saying goodbye to my family, uh, hugging and kissing my kids, uh, telling them goodbye. My oldest son, uh, he said, Dad, you're always working which I laughed and I said, buddy, I haven't worked in a number of weeks. Uh, and work is a good thing for me to do. Work is a good thing. Uh, and then he said, I, I wish you could just stay home all the time, to which my heart loved hearing. And, and then I said, all right, buddy, I'm going to see you later this afternoon. Uh, today, I want you to be a good brother to your other two brothers and I want you to listen to mom, be a good son. I'll see you later. With this, within this one short conversation with my oldest son, I said, work is good. I told him to be a, a good brother and a good son. But what does good really mean? Defining goodness is slippery. I, I don't think most of us know what we're really saying when we call something good. It's become this vanilla phrase that means nothing. We call someone a good dude or a good person, and it doesn't convey any deep meaning. It just means we don't dislike the person. 
So how do we understand goodness? It's probably not a surprise to many of you, but as Christians, we believe God determines what is good. More specifically, we believe God is good. To be honest, in preparing for this sermon, I had not realized how central the goodness of God is to the story of Scripture. The African-American church has long been shaped by their responsive refrain, God is good, and everyone responds with all the time. And the leader says, all the time, and everybody responds with, God is good. God is good. It's also a Jewish refrain. It is a prominent refrain throughout the Old Testament. Psalm 118 verse 1 says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, and his steadfast love endures forever. Exodus 33 verse 19, Moses asked to seek God, and God reveals himself and says, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. 1 Chronicles 16, verse 34, David brings the ark of God, the presence of God into Jerusalem, places it in the tent and says, oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good and his steadfast love endures forever. So when we get to the New Testament, it should be no surprise to hear Jesus, the great student of scripture, say in Mark chapter 10, verse 18, that no one is good but God alone. So I have two real simple points this morning. Uh, I could just have one, but I've got two. The first is God is good, and I could just stop there. And on this point, I'm going to be using many passages to support this claim. The second point, in which we'll kind of come back to Romans chapter 12, our passage this morning, the second point is the fruit of goodness. I want to look at and examine our lives. So God is good. When the Bible talks about God being good, it It's speaking about it in two ways. The first is God's moral perfection. God is good in the sense that God is holy, he's just, and righteous. The second way the Bible is talking about God's goodness is in God's benevolence. God is good in his compassion, love, mercy, and grace to us. I think we have a hard time conceiving of a God like this because the combination of these two things are so rare. And I do think for for most of us, if we do believe in God, it's easier to conceive of God as morally perfect. But God as benevolent is more difficult. It's more difficult to believe because of the pain, hurt, and sadness that we've experienced in our own lives. So to help us understand the goodness of God, I think we we need to go back to the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw that the light was good. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together, he called seas, and God saw that it was good. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which, there is seed, uh, in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was 
very good. The goodness of God's creation helps us to define goodness. When God created, he created not just for himself, but for us. He generously gave us everything to enjoy. All types of birds to look at, the land and the sea, the mountains and the rivers, brown eyes, blue eyes, black skin, brown skin, white skin, dogs and cats, lions and tigers. Why do you like to hike around the Eno River? Why do you enjoy going to Pedro Farm to pick strawberries? Why do you enjoy walking or riding your bike on the American Tobacco Trail or going to Duke Gardens? Because these things cause us to be in awe. They infuse life into us. Why? Because they are good. God gave us his creation to enjoy so that we might flourish and experience life. This is a good definition of goodness. Generosity that causes life and flourishing. The goodness of God is seen in his beautiful creation. It's seen in his kindness and in his generosity to share his creation with us. God created not to control or to hoard everything, but to give life and to cause all things to flourish. And we were created for goodness. We were created as image bearers of God so that in the same way we were to be good by giving life to others and causing the world to flourish. But not long after Genesis chapter 1, we come to Genesis chapter 3. Where Adam and Eve take the fruit that God created that was good for them. And instead of using God's good creation to give life and to cause flourishing, they used it for themselves. They wanted the fruit for themselves so that they could know, so that their bellies would be full. They wanted the fruit apart from the source of goodness. So they took the good created thing God intended for flourishing and used it for selfish, evil things. And so just in a few short chapters later, we read in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, the Lord saw that wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. It's a major shift in a few short chapters of the Bible. Good, good, very good to only evil continually. And this pattern of taking good things and using them for selfish, evil ends continues into the Old Testament and into the New Testament and into our present lives. Romans 3.23 tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Listen, we were all created for good, to generously give joy to the world, to give kindness to the world, to give love to the world, to fill the world with the likeness of our good God. Yet we can often fill it with suffering, sorrow, fear, judgment, death, we take good created things and we use them for selfish, evil ends. Now, I need to interject here because I can hear some of you saying, oh, if God is good, then why all the suffering? Why is the world suffering right now from coronavirus? Why the explosion in Beirut? I need, to, need you to hear this. The suffering, sorrow, and death in our world is a result of evil. 
And we might be tempted to blame God for the suffering in our world, for the evil in our world, but we've got to remember that humanity turned away from God and the suffering in our world is because of our own rebellion. But as we root ourselves in the truth that God is good, what it does is that it gives us confidence that no matter the circumstance, God is good and he will do good. Even when bad, evil things happen, God sovereignly rules over all things and brings goodness out of evil. That's why Paul says in Romans 8, 28, God works all things for our good, for his glory. God is so good that he can take evil and bring goodness out of it. Think about your own life. It's not always in, that, in the moment of suffering, often not, but after the suffering that we can reflect and we can look back and we can see how God brought about good. Now hear me, the coronavirus, it's not good. It's evil because it is causing devastation, sorrow, death, destruction, the loneliness of isolation, economic instability, the frustration of parenting, the uncertainty around schooling. These things are not good. The hundreds of deaths in Beirut, the catastrophic loss, it's not good, it's evil. But our God has the power to bring good even out of evil for God is in charge. God is good all the time and all the time God is good. Here's my second point is the fruit of goodness. I want us to examine our lives here. I want to get a little bit more practical. What it, what it means for us to bear the fruit of goodness. Now, goodness in our lives, it's not like being a good dog. Yeah, good dog. Now, we've, got a, we've got a dog. His name's Samford. When he goes to the bathroom on the pine straw, not on our grass, I tell him, good boy. Good boy, because dad doesn't like bathroom stains on the grass. When I tell him to sit and he sits... I tell him, good boy. But I hope you understand by now that goodness for us is not just following the rules. Goodness is not just being competent at something, good at something. It's much more than competency. We have to, we have to understand goodness in the terms of generosity leading to life and flourishing. It is going beyond the strict limits and being generous with our lives that causes others to receive life and for the world to flourish. This is why Paul says in our passage in Romans 12, love one another, outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Show hospitality. Bless, do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live peaceably with all. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If your enemy is thirsty, give them something to drink. A good worker. A good worker is not just someone who shows up on time, but it is someone who gives themselves to their job with passion and creativity, with the hope to see their coworkers and their bosses and companies flourish. A good worker does not just see their job as a means to make money. But as, but as the primary path, 40 plus hours a week that God has given you to be mindful of others, to meet the needs of others, to bring flourishing and life to the world through your field and your sphere of influence. A good student 
is not just someone who makes all A's. It's someone who loves the subject, who wants to experience more of God through his created world in which they're studying. It's somebody who wants to put into practice the things that they're learning about for the good of the world and the good of all people. A good friend is someone who just doesn't talk about themselves, but they seek to bring joy to others. It is someone who celebrates who you are and loves who you are, not what you can do for them. A good parent is not someone who controls their child and makes sure that they're always following the rules, but a good parent creates safe spaces, loving spaces. A good parent frees their child up to experience the good world God has created. A good parent encourages and guides their child to discover who God has created them to be and helps them to become who God's created them to be. In Dave Saul's uh, book, Seculosity, which we read last summer, he tells the story of Emily and Ronan Rapp. Uh, our church read this last summer as a reading, one of our reading list books. Uh, so he tells the story of Emily and Ronan Rapp. Ronan was born with a terminal disease. And so Emily raised her son knowing from birth that he was going to die within the first five years of his life. And here's what she said about that. Quote, I have abandoned the future. With it, any visions of Ronan scoring a perfect SAT or sprinting across a stage with a Harvard diploma in his hand. We're not waiting for Ronan to make us proud. We don't expect future returns on our investment. We've chucked the graphs of developmental milestones and we avoid parenting magazines at the pediatrician's office. Ronan has given us a terrible freedom from expectations, a magical world where there are no goals, no prizes to win, no outcomes to monitor, discuss, or compare. And the day-to-day -day of parenting a Ronin has often been peaceful and blissful. The only task I have is to love. That's a good parent. See, Paul says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. He is echoing exactly what God did at the cross where Jesus, overwhelmed by the sorrow and the destruction of a good created world, would become cursed and crucified. At the cross, the goodness of God overcame all the human evil in creation by bearing it in himself in the person of Jesus. Jesus bore evil to free us to live as God created us to live. Jesus bore evil so that all of his goodness, all of his righteousness could be given to us. Jesus rose from the dead, overcoming the greatest evil called death. So we need not live in fear. And so that he could bring about a new creation, his life being born out of his people. And God has given us his spirit so that we might abide in Christ, so that we might share in the life of Christ, so that his goodness might become our goodness. I try to meet with an older pastor who lives about an hour from here once a month for spiritual direction and guidance and prayer and counsel. And we were talking about the fruit of the spirit a while ago, and he used an analogy that I, I really love. He said one day long ago, he and his wife were at the beach, and he told his wife that he was going to go back down to the beach and he was going to work on his tan. 
and she laughed at him pretty quickly and said, work on your tan. Work? You mean you're going to go lay down on a chair or on a towel and do nothing? And we use this word work to talk about our doing, our activity, because we are such busybodies that we're going to go work on our tan. But all we're doing is laying in a chair or on a towel, working on a tan. We're doing nothing but laying in the sun and allowing the sun to change the color of our skin. That's a great image of what it means for us to grow in the fruit of the Spirit. Our work is to lay in the sun. Our work is to abide in Jesus. Our work is to believe in Christ and to look to the cross, to rest in and take great joy in the life, death, resurrection of Jesus. And then to allow his life to fill us so that we become a people who give life and flourishing to the world. A people who seek the flourishing of our neighborhoods and cities. People who give to the poor and have neighbors over for a meal. People who weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. People who are patient with others, who turn the other cheek. People who make the world more beautiful, who welcome the stranger and forgive one another. As we lay in the sun, as we abide in the sun, the life of Christ flows through us. And we become a people that overcome evil with good. And we give a foretaste to the world of what is to come one day, someday when Christ returns and the whole earth is filled with his goodness. Let's pray. God, I ask that we would truly understand how good, how good you are. May we look to Jesus and see the generosity that gives us life and that causes the world to flourish. May we trust and may we believe, some of us maybe even today for the first time, believing in the generosity and the goodness of our God. For those of us who have doubted it, even in the midst of pain and suffering in this season that's been hard, help us to believe yet again that you are good all the time. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.